the biggest thing is to not be afraid of your emotions. Just don't live there. And you, know, you need to take a, a day to just sit on the couch and stare at all of your Netflix choices. That's fine. Just don't make it more than a day. Set a time limit. Say, okay, today is a pity party Saturday and I'm going to have a great pity party. But on Sunday, the party's over. Ah, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of The Optimistic Advocate. This is episode seven, and I'm your host, Scott Bryant Comstock, founder of the Children's Mental Health Network, and ah, just another great show today. You know, this podcast is about advocates who are innovative, who refuse to sit on the sidelines and just figure out a way to get it done. But, you know, it's not only about what these advocates do, it's about who they are as people, what makes them tick. That really gets at the essence of what the Optimistic Advocate Podcast is all about. And today, very excited, we have as our guest, Benita Gibb. Benita is the Social Marketing and Health Disparities Lead for the Otsego County System of Care in upstate New York. One of the things that I like about Benita is that she stresses that the work being done in Otsego County is truly a collaborative effort on the part of not only the folks in mental health, but all of the system partners and community partners who are involved in making a difference for this community. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hope you enjoy it. Benita Gibb is the social marketing coordinator for the Otsego County System of Care. In upstate New York, about an hour outside of Albany, Benita wrote in to the Children's Mental Health Network and wanted to share some of the amazing things that they were doing with youth and families. And this was at the start of the pandemic. What I find so intriguing about Benita and, and the work she's doing, first of all, their system of care focus is on the schools and on uh, serving youth in the schools. Well, hello. Woo, how do we do that? And back then, Benita shared some interesting examples, some mindfulness things they were doing with, you know, as a way to reach young people. And Benita, I'm going to ask you to talk about that, but I'm also going to ask you to give us an update because now we are in late July. And I'm um, just curious about what the planning is like for going back to school. And if they don't go back to school, how you guys will be involved. But first, tell us what makes you so amazing. Where do you get this energetic spirit that you possess? <laughs> Is it multiple cups of coffee? Yes. <laughs> Talk to us. Well, I am incredibly passionate about uh, empowering other people to empower other people. I think that we find our strength, we find our center from taking our own experiences, good and bad, and helping other people. So one of the things I like to tell uh, any of the youth or my own teen daughter that I'm working with, these are my mistakes. You get to make your own, but you don't get to make mine. And so, you know, if we work together, we can empower each other. And just assuming that because someone is two years old, 20 years old, 96 years old, their life experience has a lot of value. And bringing that into your own awareness that 
sure, you know, I've been on this planet enough years that I don't want to tell you how long. <laughs> um, but just because you've only been on this planet eight years doesn't mean you can't share with me what you've learned and then empower me to do better. And everything I've heard about you and read about you is you, that that spirit carries forward and through the work you do. Talk to me a little bit about the focus of the grant. I mentioned earlier that it is focused on the schools, but talk to us a little bit about what the approach is and then how you're working through the most challenging time I think either of us has been through. Talk about that. Just to give you a little bit of a background, our county is very rural. There's only about 64,000, give or take, in the whole county with the majority of them centered in a, a city called Oneonta, which has about 20,000 of those people. And we're very, very rural. Distance is a huge problem for us because of course, all of our community-based services are in the town of Oneonta, which is in the most Southern part of our county. And so transportation uh, and, and access to services has always been a challenge. When we came across the system of care grant opportunity, we saw this as a chance for us to look at and leverage those informal systems that rural communities are so famous for. How do we take what's great about being in a town of a thousand people and amplify that and add to it the benefits of being in a much larger town? We found that communities, particularly rural communities, but urban as well, tend to use the school district as an informal meeting place, whether it's for fundraisers or for family activities. Many schools open up their gyms and pools to the community. So we took that opportunity and we said, okay, let's work with the schools and say, how do we leverage and advance that informal delivery system? with formal deliveries. Sure, yeah. And so what are the ways you do that? We bring a social worker and a family peer advocate and a youth peer advocate to each of the school districts. And the school district refers families to us or families can self-refer and we meet them at the, the school district. So they don't need to necessarily travel to Oneana, which could be up to an hour away. We have no public transportation either. So, I mean, it, you know, it's it's a, a bit of a hike. And so bringing those services to them, coordinating with them, if for somehow the service can't get to their school district, we do our best to bring it closer or find an alternative method to get them there. So everything started to shut down mid-March, basically. How did you adapt? And what, what did that adaptation look like? And then I guess I want you to talk about what it's looking like now as you're planning for fall. We adapted by embracing technology, which was incredibly difficult because in addition to transportation problems, we have a broadband access disparity in our community. The school districts and the local libraries have all opened up their Wi-Fi to expand to parking lots or even the street outside. So we leveraged that and we went virtual as much as we could. And when we couldn't, a lot of our family advocates still have made in-person visits. We made sure that they had the proper equipment and brought proper equipment with them to the families when they needed it. Give us a little background on what you see as your mission. 
I see myself as kind of like a megaphone for whoever needs their voice to be heard at the moment, whether it's the service who needs families to know that that they're there, or it's a family or a youth who needs support for something that is particularly um, important to them, you know, whether it's, hey, we don't have broadband or we don't have transportation. So I, I see myself in that role. I also see myself sort of like ambassador between the two when what the family is needing and what the service is providing, they might not realize that that these things coexist and you know can meet each other. The family might not realize that they need this service and the service might not realize that they meet that family's needs, but maybe present it a little bit differently. When we talked last, you had some really cool things you were working on. Give us an update on how those activities are coming along, how they're being implemented. I, I think our listeners will be real interested in that. So for those, those activities, we sent them to guidance counselors in the school districts who were charged with the absolutely enormous task of protecting the social emotional learning of the youth in their school districts. So they incorporated it into their work as, as it fit. And we have a, a network agency that we work with called the Family Resource Network. They do something called Teen Scene. And so they incorporated our mindfulness activities uh, and they would mail out kits for whatever the activity was for the week to their participants prior to. So that guide is, you know, it's a resource guide. It has all of the basics. It has access to, to food pantries and mental health and hotlines and all of that stuff. But it also has most of our mindfulness activities that we sent out to the school districts. It has two or three pages on how to have a staycation with some really fun activities on visiting places around the world without leaving your house. And then my favorite was the hiking section. My husband and I and my daughter, we go hiking a lot. And my daughter refers to it as forced marches. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm very good at entertaining people on the trail who don't want to be entertained. So fall is coming. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. So what are the plans? We have some really exciting plans. COVID or no COVID, one of the things that we struggle with is youth engagement. And one of the biggest hurdles to youth engagement is that they have so much competing for them and we have to compete with what's competing for their attention already. School, sports, homework, and, and anything that the school mandates. So I was thinking, one thing that we have in our high schools, I think all of our high schools have this, is a mandatory community service component. If you don't complete 100 hours of community service, you can't graduate. But when you can't leave your house, how are you possibly going to complete those hours right. to graduate? And so we brainstormed with our youth engagement leader, and we decided to offer virtual volunteering. And right now, the Family Resource Network, they, they just completed an activity where they were making those knot blankets. And some kids were keeping them and some were donating them to the animal shelter. Yeah. So if you do that, then those hours count for your community service. So we're going to do a lot more activities like that and promote that. 
Very cool. Now, has there been a decision in upstate New York on when schools will open, if they will, or staggered schedules? Yes and no. Yes, the schools will open. What that looks like, we don't really know because each district is going to have its own policy. I think a lot of that has to do with size. Some of our school districts have 700 youth and some have 150, and that's pre-K through 12. I think it's easier for those smaller schools to have a, a normal full schedule than the larger ones. You're a, a professional who is very experienced in helping to motivate communities to take action and very creative, obviously, with the kinds of things you do. You know, you're also a mom. So you're a mom with a 13-year-old and, and your family's very active on the force marches. I'm going to remember <laughs> that one. I like that. Not only are you helping people figure out how to get through this and adapt in this pandemic, you're also living it yourself and doing it yourself. My question to you is, what advice would you give from your professional hat and your mom hat to help families get through this? From the professional aspect, maybe six months ago, people looked to us to have all the answers and they're still looking to us to have the answers, but it's really important now to listen more than we talk because everything that we knew worked, every delivery system that we had that we could rely on or, or model that we had to fall back on, it was designed for a world that just isn't so right now. So listen to the needs and don't be afraid to try something weird. It's okay. You know, if you were just communicating with your families, you know, hey, let's try this. And if it doesn't work, we'll backtrack and try something else. It's okay. And that's my big thing is it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah, We're in a brand new world. And those models that we relied on, at one point, people looked at them with raised eyebrows. How about your mom hat? My mom hat. The biggest thing is to not be afraid of your emotions. Just don't live there. And you, know, if you need to take a, a day to just sit on the couch and stare at all of your Netflix choices. That's fine. Just don't make it more than a day. Set a time limit. Say, okay, today is a pity party Saturday and I'm going to have a great pity party. But on Sunday, the party's over. But also show your kids how you set those limits for yourself because they need to have pity parties too. But they also need to know that the party needs to be over and they have to get back to their life. So showing them that it's okay, but you have to get your stuff back together and and face reality again, how to do that. Because today it's COVID, tomorrow it's you know something else. So just learning to do that and teaching your kids is really important. Yeah, beautifully said. All right. Our final question. If you could have a Zoom call with anyone, living or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, that is a really good question. You know, I I am reading this book called Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl is Told by Herself. And I would like to talk to her. I would like to talk to her and really just get a sense of if she could rewrite history or if she could rewrite the actions of how I live my life, how would she write that for me? Tell me a little bit about the book. It is a autobiography of uh, a woman who was 
a slave in the South around the time of the Nat Turner revolt. And it's so moving, but it makes you really realize right now there's a lot of conflicting messages of how you can best use your voice as a white person. Yes. There's a lot of conflicting messages. And I think that turns off a lot of people to raising their voice. They want to, but they don't know what's the right thing to say. And, and I think this book really helps you understand why those messages are so different and why, you know what, you might say something wrong. Somebody's going to say, Hey, please don't say that. And you need to apologize and not say that again. And it's okay. There's a lot of emotion that you need to shoulder right now. And it's all right. And this explains why. And you actually feel like you want to shoulder that burden. Sometimes we feel like I don't know how to shoulder that burden. This book makes you want to shoulder that burden and say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to learn more. I'm ready to listen, but an active listening. That's excellent. Tell me again, the title of the book and who the author is. Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl as Told by Herself. And it's written by Harriet Jacobs. That's awesome. Well, Benita Gibb, you're always a ray of sunshine. Thank you. I so appreciate this opportunity to spend time with you. Listen, if people want to learn more about the work you guys are doing, how, how do they do that? If you go to our Facebook page, which is Facebook, Otsigo, S-O-C, then you can find a link to our website there. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, keep up the good work, okay? Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, man. How special was that? That was a delightful interview with Benita Gibb. Benita, thank you. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Here's a special treat. You can get a copy of the Summer Guide that um, Benita mentioned. It's called Making the Most of a Summer at Home. A guide for a happy and healthy summer during COVID-19. We've got a link to it in the show notes. So make sure you check out the show notes and uh, get yourself a copy of that great guide. Lots of good information that can help you with planning efforts in your community. All right. Excellent. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you next week. This is Scott signing off. happy to share whatever we've got.